Hey, hey, we're back. We're two cantors that have walked into a bar. I am cantor Matt Axerod from Congregation Beth Israel in Scotch Plains, New Jersey. And I am here with the charming, inimitable, and ever unpredictable. I'm inimitable. You are unpredictable, that's for sure. But, but who are you? Please tell everyone who are I am Cantor Penny Myers of Temple Beth Zion in, in Buffalo, New York. Buffalo, New York. We, we have, I think, okay, Penny, I, it's I been, think... It's been a few episodes. I, I think we're back. Well, I, I was going to say that I think we are starting to develop a little bit of an appreciation now for Buffalo. Thank you. It just Maybe, goes you know, beyond the wings. I think that Buffalo might be more than meets the eye. Buffalo is it's more, more than, than just the eye. old people that are going to die soon. No, that's Florida. Oh, it's <laughs> more than just a way stop on the way somewhere else in the Midwest or to Toronto. Do you know where Buffalo is on the way to the Midwest? Because well, you wouldn't stop in Buffalo. You might if you. Matt's geographically challenged. He lives in New Jersey, which is effectively the armpit of New York State. Oh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> so apparently we're going. <laughs> we're going in that direction. And here okay. comes our round. Okay, yeah, and just in time. Perfect time. Take Thank the you, edge right off. We are. We have set ourselves up with our usual drink. Uh, our regulars already know what we're drinking, but for those of you who may be tuning in or not familiar, or tuning out, or tuning out, <laughs> Penny, what are you drinking? I'm drinking an old fashioned. And me too. I, I, you know, I asked you one other time if you preferred bourbon or rye, and you said... I said rye. You said rye because you're near I'm Canada. I'm near Canada. I love my Canadian brethren and sisterin. Yep. I like to change it up once in a while, some bourbon one time, rye another. Um, you like just, to shave half your face? Yeah, once in a while. And then shave the other half of my face. And throw. Sure, why not? Yeah, right. Okay. Because that keeps things new and unpredictable, and that leads us perfectly into <laughs> the topic of this afternoon's podcast. New and unpredictable? Kind of. Um, drinking old... No. We are talking about how do we, as clergy, as cantors keep things fresh, keep things relevant, because we're not only going into, let's say, an office and performing a job over and over again, but we are trying to relate with our congregation, we're trying to relate to the prayers, we're trying to represent our congregation and bring meaning to their lives, and we have to relate to them as our students, to people that are looking to us to represent them to, wow, as, in that, a worship experience. I know, that's right? a little scary. I know. This is Anyone what I'm saying. Anyone wanting us to represent them. Uh, this is right. I Hopefully know. you're not listening to the podcast right now. Penny, what do you think? How is it that we can do this day in and day out every week? We go to the same Shabbat services every week. What, what do you think? What, what are some strategies that... Or, or is just way to spice you, it up. Yeah, you walk in, you walk into shul, and it's a routine experience. But you want to bring some newness to it. You want to bring something, an excitement to it. You want to bring a novelty to it. Well, it depends. I mean, the thing is, is that it just it, for me every Shabbat doesn't doesn't feel the same. Sometimes it feels when you have continuous bar and bat mitzvah appointments. That gets um, that gets a little dull, um, and pretty quickly when you've taught a prayer like Vehafta or something several times. And so I have to get all creative. I re- dig. I dig deep, Matt. You you, you re dig deep. I re dig 
another old fashioned. I read. So you dig deep. I dig deep into my pedagogical toolbox. Wow. Wait, hold on a second. <laughs> Let me <laughs> say that. There, Let me no take way, another sip. There's no way I can let that word go by without con- huh. Okay. And I try to. <laughs> We're both educators, so he's looking at me like I know what English talk like. So <laughs> wow. I, I try to pretend that this is the first time I've ever done this. It brings a sense of do, heightened do you awareness. Do you do that when you're, when you're teaching or when you're leading prayers from the uh, Bimba? Yes. Or both? Yes. Yep. Yes. You know, I mean, look, there are Shabbatot, there are sometimes consecutive worship opportunities that that I lead or facilitate and that the same players, the same congregants show up. And, and so, you know... I will throw things into the mix to catch them a little bit off guard because sometimes I think that our cedarim and even the way that we are seated is a barrier and so I'll often invite people to wish each other a Shabbat Shalom, I will do a Q&A at the beginning, or I just like to keep add some freshness and newness and enthusiasm into a different prayer that I wouldn't normally otherwise because if I feel stale myself or bored, then the congregation isn't going to be inspired. And my job is to meet them where they're at. Okay, so and I'm very glad you used one of my favorite sayings, we meet our congregants where, where they're at. Because it's exactly... We cannot well, talk. We, long, no, well, you know, yeah. it's, it's been a long day and a lot of drinks. Yes. But I think that one strategy that works very well is if we imagine that we are our congregants and when they walk into temple what is it that they see how is it that they see things what is it that they're looking at because we have our own perspective when we walk in and often it's routine and it's the place where we work you know we don't go to our congregants workplace and (laughs) and hang out with them while they're doing their job, actually, and yet, well, maybe. <laughs> actually, I want to go to my friend's just, bar. You know, one never knows. I just want to just walk into my accountant's place and heckle you. Like, hey, hey, you added those <laughs> you numbers really wrong. Yeah, that's right. You added the same numbers last week. You, that's right. Or you did wrong the doing a law melody. But use the traditional. It, it's it's an interesting exercise to to almost put on glasses that make you see things the way that other people see them. Wait, d- differentiated, though, from wearing the glasses after a few old fashions in our system. Exactly. Okay, the, those are, Those are just putting on glasses with the wrong prescription in it, with the wrong lenses. But our congregants walk in with differing levels of experience, and they may walk into the sanctuary and not be familiar with where to sit or what's actually taking place in the sanctuary, or they, when the ark is opened and they see the Torah, is something that we see all the time and don't really think about anymore, and they may have a sense of awe and wonder that, wow, these are the Torah scrolls. And I think it's really useful for us, and I try to do it when I can, to plug into that a little bit and to try to get their sense of newness. And wonder. And wonder. For right, sure. Right. Because sometimes, not even sometimes, all the time, familiarity breeds, contempt. breeds <laughs> hopefully not contempt, but it, it breeds a certain level of um, complacency. And I think that the sanctuary is not necessarily to be the place to be complacent. But 
Then, I know, right? It is very deep. As opposed to my glass. Which is shallow and needs to be refilled. I was just going to say that. I'm glad you didn't say that I was shallow. On on the other hand, I want to bring up one line which sticks with me. This is a a line that I I actually uh, referred to in a previous episode of a podcast where we're talking in the prayer which is called Hinani, which is recited on the High Holidays. And it's a, a personal... A penitential prayer recited by the cantor in the singular first person to say masculine. It, well it's masculine that was the topic of that podcast but in whatever gender it wasn't a masculine podcast exactly <clears throat> and it's talking about how the cantor who's talking in first person is feeling that under great pressure that he or she is representing all the congregants and, and this great pressure and job and task that they have, and they hope that they're worthy. I'm not worthy, I'm not worthy. And they hope that they're worthy. And one of the lines in the Hinani is that they're reciting these prayers, um, as someone who is old, in other words, Old read experience. Well, (laughs) (laughs) sorry, I didn't. I didn't. I didn't beat her on the bush on that one, did I? I will have aged three years just in the space of this podcast. True story. But but someone who is old and experienced, and Ragil, someone who's been doing this for a long time and is just well accustomed to all of these prayers. And I wonder if the author of this prayer is trying to tell us that there's something in it that that there's something about being accustomed and being making this routine and, and being experienced if there's actually a benefit that we bring to it as opposed to someone who is brand new and seeing some, and seeing all of these things with a sense of wonder. No, I agree with you, Matt. Actually, I would like to just comment on that because I think that there is something to be said about the comfort level slash familiarity slash not complacency. I think that that's a very loaded word to use, but I think that when we are not autopilot... God forbid, not autopilot. And and that happens. I mean, you can't. You are a pilot. Well, there's you've had just, to activate I've, it. I've, when I'm on autopilot, that's for sure. There are but times in all of our lives absolutely. we phone it in. Absolutely. Not you just can't, our jobs. Can't you can't avoid it. I mean, it's it human just, nature. Like, gets in the way. You cannot sometimes. be on all the time. But 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 go. yeah. But I think that there's that sense. I mean, that 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 aged, not aged. Aged. <laughs> Are we talking about the home in Buffalo? <laughs> I like how you're like the home in Buffalo. <laughs> the, home, the home for aging people There's in Buffalo. One. We, um, you know, I think that we are then conduits where we can, you know, not exploit but capitalize on our congregants' wonder. You know, I often say to our even our you know our B'nai Mitzvah students, they're so freaked out when they get to that Torah scroll for the very first time, and I look at them and I just say, nothing to worry about. It's just Torah. It's no it's, one's gonna die. It's really interesting when we bring our Bar and Bat Mitzvah students up to the Bimah for one of the first oh, times. And it's beautiful, and they're like, oh wow, just the bit in the and they're just their eyes. You're right. right. And, it's a bit like Disneyland or and then, Disney World. You know, if you want to, you and I. We go to the during the week. If we have to roll the Torah to get it to a certain spot, or we need to move something around, we just open the ark. We take out the Torah. We put it down. We, we do what we have to do. Right. And but if we can plug into the feeling that these bar mitzvah kids have when you yeah. hold, let them hold the Torah for the first time, oh gosh. right? It gives me it makes my heart beat. Exactly. Somewhere they're gonna drop it. 
So it, it's a matter of plugging into that. Uh, to, to kind of bring this around, I guess, I guess we're, we're going deeper than we thought here, but the Musaf service, which is the additional service, which is not recited in all congregations, in your Reformed congregation, do you do Musaf? Sometimes. Okay. Well, so, I mean, the whole, high holy days, yes. Okay. It depends what you, what you would consider Musaf. Okay, so a traditional Musaf service basically has to do with a commemoration of the sacrifices that were brought in ancient times in the temple. And depending on the wording, either we're praying for a return to those times, which may be problematic, or at least we're, we're acknowledging that those times existed historically and we bring them into our service and we remember what sacrifices used to mean to the Jewish people. Right. So one explanation as to why this section is still so important and why we should not necessarily discard it because really there's nobody I know that wants to bring back sacrifice I mean listen I'm all for barbecue Look, I was just going to say I know as that. soon as you get okay. to a reach nicholach right. a pleasing because everyone loves the smell of barbecue oh, even especially, right, especially God obviously loves the smell of barbecue <laughs> really. but what we're trying to do is we're trying to connect to our religion on a higher level. We're trying to connect through empathy. We're, we're not saying we want to be back to sacrifices, but we want to plug into what our ancestors felt when they brought sacrifices. The That's closeness the closeness they felt to our religion by bringing sacrifices. And if we can plug into that, then we've had a successful prayer experience. So similarly, when our kids exactly. and new congregants when we see the wonder in their eyes when they come into the sanctuary and see the Torah and, and they, they they're looking it. into the scroll for the first time, something we've done thousands of times, yeah. if we can plug into that, that helps us be better cantors. That helps us be better clergy. Would you agree with that? I would totally agree. There's this Jewish saying, what's old becomes new again and what's new becomes kadosh, becomes holy. And I really, really believe that. I would... I would be lying if I said that there weren't times in my career where I have felt quote-unquote bored, but then I, I realize and I recognize that, you know, that's a, for me, it's, it's my own selfishness, recognizing that I am a shalichat sibor, I'm an emissary of my congregation, and while I may know the ins and outs and the rubrics of prayer and how everything is supposed to go, they don't. And I have to remind myself, and this is where sometimes I miss the mark, but I remind myself, hey, these pe- you know, this person here is, you know, I'll call them, I'll call everyone up in the congregation if it's a Shabbat morning and there's no bar about mitzvah when I'm leaning Torah. I will either ho- have two people hold up the Torah scroll while I lean it so that people can see it. It's I call it Sephardi style. So that it's kind of standing upright and people can see it and see and the text there. as you're reading it, right? Or I'll call them up to the bima for them to actually be close to the Torah as I'm laying it, as I'm chanting it, so that people are close to it. I don't want people to necessarily be afraid, but that moment of awe and wonder and surprise and delight and reverence is just, it's, for lack of a better word, delicious to experience. Great. Great description, great adjective, delicious. That that's wonderful. But do you think it's something that only happens once? Let Let's take the example of the bar mitzvah kids who come up with their wide eyes and they're looking at the Torah for the first time. Does that happen the second time? 
do we do, do people lose something? So the, the story you just shared and the experience with your Karngans, what happens the next time? Are they able to maintain that, or is it just yeah, they, they've had it, they've excitement. had their their seminal experience, and, the, and that's it, and then no. it's, it kind of goes to routine. No, I think that they, I think, I think because it's so rare that we invite our, I think just generally, I think it's so rare. I mean, l- l- let's be honest, okay? Judaism. If, if, wait, wait. If we're going to be honest, we're going to we need, need another, another drink. drink. Okay. That's right. Oh, I'm so thirsty. Um, you know, if we're going to be honest, let's let's be honest. I mean, you know, most Jews who come to the synagogue, you know, at least in my congregation, a good chunk, their only experience of, of Judaism or worship is during High Holy Days. And the Torahs are far away, and the scrolls are far away. And they're, and they're physically far away because they're probably sitting in the back out of, because it's, it's like That's what, where they sat or where right, their grandparents yeah. sat. And, and everyone's, you know, parading around with, with Sifrei Torah, with our Torah scrolls, and there's a sense of jubilance, even during Yom Kippur. I mean, we're free Jews, we're able to have our Torah scrolls, and yet you know, I don't think it loses. I don't think it loses its excitement because bringing people right up to that Torah school, whether you're a bar mitzvah student, bat mitzvah student, an adult bar or bat mitzvah student, confirmation student. We do confirmation, which is in the sophomore year of high school, where students reaffirm their Jewish identity. It's a lovely tradition. You know, they're still excited because it's impromptu, it's not planned. I call them up, not to read Torah, but I always make a little joke to lighten up the mood, you know, about, oh, you're not reading Torah today? So what do you think we can do? Because as I was saying, it's not just us, it's it's the members of the congregation, the regular shul goers, goers that... They. That's so New Jersey. That, that was a Massachusetts. That was, that was no, goes, no, no. That's a Massachusetts. Yeah. Not on yeah. Shabbat. Every now and then it slips out. What do you think that we can do for them? Because they're going to also have a feeling of I won't say complacency, but um, they might not know what's happening. That things become routine, and if they become routine for us, they become routine for congregants. Some will come all the time anyway. Others will lose that sense of wonder and and think that they don't necessarily need it anymore or it's not serving the same purpose. It's a relationship. It's like spicing up your marriage. Fifty Shades of Tefillin. Oh, oh that's, that's, wow, that, wow. That's really something. Wow, I just went there, didn't I? That would certainly increase popularity of religion, for uh, sure. Yes, absolutely. Look, Tefillin's great. But I think that that's true. One thing that I was thinking about when I was mentioning seeing things through different people's eyes is a program that we did a while ago where we had our high school students do a program with a a local Catholic high school and these guest kids came into our synagogue and we had our rabbi explain you talk to to both the Catholic kids and the Jewish kids and explain all the Jewish customs the things the Catholic kids would see what the ark is, what sanctuary, how Jews worship, what we believe in. But what was happening at the same time was that, of course, our Jewish kids were listening to the whole thing. And maybe they had never actually heard things explained explicitly and exactly, right. you know, they, they certainly understood it, they grew up with it. But to hear it explained on a basic level to a non-Jewish person, and then they get to experience that sense of wonder through these non-Jewish people's eyes yeah. as they 
look at the sanctuary and look around and see the scrolls of the Torah that, that the Jewish kids had previously taken for granted. And so they, one strategy I think is that as much as we can for us to see things through other people's eyes and to somehow get our congregants to see things in a fresh way as well. I really like how you put that because I think that's a teachable moment. I think that there's always an opportunity for learning and for teaching. Um, and I, I, I agree with you. You know, we do a lot of inter as the biggest synagogue in Western New York. And yes, there's more than all one. Right, all right, there's I'll, more than like four I'm, Jews. I'm going to okay. take a sip of my drink now so I don't say anything. Go on. That, that I th and I, my husband and I and all of Western New York appreciate that, Mr. Armpit. Okay. By, by the way, Armpit. where does Western New York actually start? Rochester? That's east of us. Yeah, yeah so where does Western New York start? Yeah, I think anywhere like west of Rochester. Okay, so it wasn't a dumb answer after all. Well, you, you know, Rochester is an hour and a half. Anyway, I don't even remember what I see. It got me on Buffalo. I don't even know what I was going to say. You were talking about non-Jewish people in Western New York. No, no, I was talking about Jewish people in Western New York. And at my synagogue, we do a lot of interfaith gatherings. We do a lot of sharing pulpits. And um, we also, because my synagogue is amazing, um, we're one of the... They're amazing, Penny, because they have you as their cantor. I will buy the next round for that. Yes. There you go. Yes. You like that? Yes. High five on that one. Give me five. All right. No, but the thing is, is that, is that we do a lot of partnership with the interfaith community. And because we're the largest synagogue in Western New York, and our synagogue is one of the 13 featured at the Jewish Museum in Philadelphia, and we were just our mid-century modern architecture and is part of the National Registry. Perhaps Temple Beth Zion would like to sponsor this podcast. <laughs> Temple Beth Zion... Of Western New York. Of Western Temple Beth Zion will will sponsor our podcast. That sounds good. You have my endorsement. Mm -hmm. That's a unilateral decision. I think I'm kind of qualified. I can make. Mm -hmm. But nevertheless, because of that, we get many church and other other faith based tours in our sanctuary and in our synagogue and our downtown campus because we have two campuses. Campi, is it Campi? It's campuses. Just gotcha. Like <laughs> Go on. And 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 we actually have docents who explain our our synagogue. Not only do we have a we have an extensive Jewish museum there, but we also have incredible architecture. And our congregants linger on. And mind you, we're a legacy synagogue, which means that people are fourth, fifth, sixth generation. Of, of Temple Beth Zion families and, and they learn about their synagogue in a way that makes them appreciate the architecture a little more or the service a little more and we're always adapting and meeting who doesn't congregant or non-gregant I call them non-gregants I like that term non-gregant you know regardless we approach the clergy team approaches every worship service as if the people in the congregation have never, ever, ever, ever been to a Jewish worship service. So by definition, the whole thing is done through fresh eyes all the time. Yes, when we explain the prayer book, which makes me want to, you know, take the taser and, you know, tase myself. Um, but, you know, we, we adopted a new Sidor, new prayer book about nine years ago, ten years ago through the reform movement and and Mishkan Tefillah 
And if the URJ wants to sponsor our podcast, be happy to do that too. And we explain how our prayer book works and the, you know, Hebrew transliteration, translations, the poetry and prose that follow all of our scriptures and our teachings and our liturgy. And, And also, even at the end of the service, right before we wish everyone a Shabbat Shalom or a good Shabbos on Saturday, I will often volunteer and let our congregants or let whoever is present know that um, that our prayer over wine and over our challah, our braided bread, are not sacraments in the Jewish faith, but rather a way of giving thanks to God for Shabbos, for the Sabbath, and for sustenance. So even that in and of itself is a teachable moment that creates a little bit of education, even though they don't expect to learn. So. I think that I'd like wine now. That <laughs> it's not a sacrament; it's a necessity. It's a necessity. So I think the takeaway then, Penny, is that it all has to do with looking at things through fresh eyes, making things teachable moments, right. which I think is a great opportunity. And one of the lessons I think we've learned here is that. It doesn't matter how much you think you know, or even if you're an expert or do this by profession, everything has the opportunity to be a teachable moment. Absolutely. We need to be fresh. We need, we need fresh drinks. We need fresh drinks. So that's going to bring us to the end of this episode. So a teachable moment here is that don't let your drink get depleted. You should always get fresh rounds. That's right. Okay, and we we're going to do that right now. And in fact, we would love to have you come join us in person sometime. And as we always like to say, the drinks, drinks are, are on us. us.